We talk a lot about the importance of Bible study at our church, but do we mean it? Are we really committed to studying the Bible? Are you really committed to studying the Bible? It's the Word of God. It's living and active. It's powerful and life-shaping. If we don't know the Bible, how can we apply it to our lives? If we don't read and study the Word of God, are we truly dedicated to following the Jesus way? I challenge you to establish a regular habit of reading the Bible. Now's the time to start. Are you serious? Thank you, Kurt, for that challenge today. And you know that our theme for the fall of this year is rededicate. And there's a sense in which that uh, might apply to all of us when it comes to studying the Scripture, things like that. We're about to bring this conversation to a conclusion this Sunday and next Sunday, our study of 1 Corinthians. And then we'll transition to Missions Month in November. Our theme for Missions Month is Reclaim, and we'll be using three pages out of Luke's gospel to guide us, and then we'll read some examples in the book of Acts to inspire us in our mission journey. And then we'll turn the page to the Advent season, and our theme for Advent will be Remember, and we will use the gospel of Luke as our guide during the Advent season. You know that one of our hopes, one of our desires is that you will explore the Scripture even more deeply, give more thought, theological reflection to the lessons that we're learning together. So Katie and I are doing this podcast each week called Tell Me More, and there we explore the message that I preach here on Sunday morning, the Scripture passage that maybe we don't have time to get to some of the things that are there for us on a Sunday morning in a sermon, so we're trying to do that. Then on Wednesdays, every Wednesday at 12.30 in our fellowship hall, I'm teaching a Bible study. And right now we're studying 1 Corinthians. We're going chapter by chapter, studying it a little more deeply than we are able to do on a Sunday morning. And I'm grateful for that. Also, you know that uh, Kurt Grice has produced this booklet for us. If you haven't gotten one of these, I'd encourage you to get one. They're in all of our Welcome Center areas that helps you not just to study 1 Corinthians. It does that but also to help you just to study the Bible in general. And then there, you can always go to thesacramentaljourney.org. There, there are resources there available for you, and um, I would love for you to search that page as well. So with that said, let's look at today's text. It's 1 Corinthians 15. It's where we'll find ourselves. And I've entitled this message today, Rededicate the Big Story. Paul is sharing a message generally and then specifically about the resurrection. But as he begins that conversation, he offers us what you might consider is a synopsis of the gospel, a, a summary, if you will, of the gospel. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, I want to ask you to look at that with me. We'll begin in verse 3. After Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel that he preached to them. He says this gospel is how you've been saved. And then you come to verse three. And we read these words. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12. And after that, he, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Well, as we begin the conversation this morning, I want to offer you a glimpse into our future, to where we're headed as a church. You know that each July, I take the month off and go on a study leave, and I study and pray and prepare for our next year's ministry life together. And so this past July, I was able to do that. I'm grateful for that time. And, and I came back with a plan for the year. And so here is our plan for 2023. Our theme is going to be, why does it matter? And we're going to explore topics as we try to answer that question. We'll begin in the winter. Why does anything matter? Then we'll move to why does sin matter? Why does family matter? Why does eternal life matter? Why does the Holy Spirit matter? Why does the church matter? Why does the mission of God matter? Why does the incarnation matter? So those are the eight seasons that we will walk through in 2023. We already own the URL, whydoesitmatter.org. In fact, if you went to it right now, you would find a very clear presentation of the gospel, actually in eight different languages. And so we'll expand upon that in 2023. We're going to study the gospel of John in 2023. So we'll spend the year allowing John to be our guide as we hear his perspective on the life of Jesus. And our hope is to continue to cultivate, to develop, to enhance, to build what I would call a culture of evangelistic sensitivity. Because in 2023, we're going to have a, an intentional study in apologetics where we will learn, discuss together, what do we really believe? And then hopefully what that does is that breeds confidence in us so that we can more confidently share the story of the gospel, this transformative power of God that we know is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to think about that. Maybe you could even say, I want us to sensitively, to be sensitively evangelistic. But say it either way, that we'll be thoughtful about sharing the gospel, the transforming message of the gospel. I was reminded of that as late as last night. Cindy and I, uh, we had a wedding here at our church. We then went to a reception. And on our way home, we stopped at the grocery store to pick up a few items. And so we were at Kroger. And I was standing in the cross aisle. Cindy was, was going to get some more things that we needed. And we were dressed in wedding attire, not the typical Saturday night Kroger wardrobe, I would say, just based on my limited observation. But then a young couple walked in, dressed somewhat similarly, and they eventually found their way over to me, two young people. And the young lady said to me, I'd like to invite you to a Bible study at our church. Do you think you could come to a Bible study? I said, um, thank you. I said, uh, what church do you belong to? And where do you hold the Bible study? Well, then she told me where it was. Well, when she told me, I knew exactly the beliefs of that particular 
faith group because I've done some homework on that group. And that faith group is based out of South Korea. And I would understand it to be an aberration of authentic Christianity. And so I just said to her, I'm probably not going to come to a Bible study because I don't believe that what you all are teaching at your faith group is authentically Christian, to be honest with you. But I would be happy to study the Bible with you to have a conversation about it. And uh, led to a conversation. And I said, I know your faith community is, is based out of Korea. And you have a certain belief system about a couple. Uh, one man who's dead and a lady who's alive today that you believe to be the mother God. I said, so, but I'd be happy to visit with you about it. Anyway, so we had a little brief conversation, and um, once we started talking a little bit about Hebrew and Greek, she went on shopping. <clears throat> um, and, but he remained, and we visited a little bit more. But the point was, I was just reminded of how important it is for us to know what we believe, and to be prepared for conversations because you never know where you might have a conversation with someone about the gospel. So with that said, let me just begin as we think about this text we've read this morning. Just asking this question, what is the gospel? I mean, what, what does it really mean? If I could just state it really simply, it is good news. That's what the gospel is. That's what the word means. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I want you to, you know, if you still have your Bible open, let's keep the text there in front of us, 1 Corinthians 15. But I'd invite you to look with me back at Luke 24. This last page in Luke's gospel. I want, to, I want you to look at this story that Luke records for us. When you come to Luke 24, Jesus has been crucified. And now he's been resurrected from the dead. And... So we pick up the story in verse 13, where Luke says this. Now that same day, that Sunday, if you will, Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now this is the resurrected Christ, okay? Verse 17, so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Luke says, they stopped in their tracks. They stood still, faces downcast. One of them, Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here or there in these days? What things, Jesus asked them. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had so hoped. You see that? We, we, we had so hoped, verse 21, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more? It's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They, they went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they 
They did not see Jesus. So Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophet, that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he dia hermeneueo is the Greek word. He thoroughly explained, it says, to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Let me read that again. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to have been there for that? To let Jesus show you what was said about him? What a story. You see, these Jews in the first century, here's what they believed. They believed that God was going to visit earth personally. And he was going to establish his kingdom on this earth. And in their mind, it was going to put the Exodus to shame. They love the Exodus. In fact, that is their story. It is the signal story of the Old Testament. And the Jews revel in that story. They did then, they do now. But certainly then, as their rabbis taught them, what a remarkable story. God intervened in their lives, and there they were being held bondage by the most powerful dynasty to date on earth, the Egyptians, and God miraculously rescued them, redeemed them, and restored them to the land of Abraham. What a great story. Here's now where they are in the first century. Now they've got the shackles of Rome on their necks, and it chafes them. And they believe that God himself is going to return, and he's going to perform an even greater miracle, and he's going to overthrow the Romans, the Roman Empire, and he's going to reestablish his kingdom, and he's going to restore it to Israel, and Israel is going to rule with him in the kingdom of God in their land promised to their father Abraham. And they were so grateful and humbled by that story, and they were looking for it. And notice what these guys said to Jesus. Look at verse 21. They said, you know, we, we had followed Jesus. We had listened to him. We had seen what he did. And we so hoped he was the guy. And guess what? Just like so many other thousand Jewish men, they crucified him. And they were downcast. So, Verse 25, what did Jesus do? I would contend he shared the gospel. Now, how did he do it? Did he present them the four spiritual laws? Nothing against the four spiritual laws. Did he ask them, if you were to die today, do you know you would go to heaven? Nothing against asking that question. But Jesus offered something a little more complete that serves as the backdrop for those conversations. He says, let, let me show you the big story. And that's what he gave them. The big story. And basically, he explained it to them. Dia hermeneueo. You know, in this booklet that Kurt wrote, he has an article on hermeneutics. Our word hermeneutics comes from that Greek word, to explain. It's the, it's the science, the art together, if you will, of, of interpreting. Jesus did that for these two disciples. 
and shared with them the truth about who he was and he pointed them to himself, what the scripture had to say about himself. And basically, if you'll believe this, everything else comes into full view. You know, C.S. Lewis, he asked that this be placed on his tombstone and uh, the marker that's there that marks his burial. And it basically says this, Lewis said, I believe in Christianity the way I believe in the sunrise. Not just because I see it, but by it, I see everything else. In other words, C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity not just because I value it and see it as worthy, but once I believe it, then I can see everything else. Well, that's how it works. You believe this? This story, this good news, because that's what this is. Because here's what Jesus is basically saying. Jesus says, I changed everything. I am changing everything. And one day, I will change everything. See, that, that's good news. Something has happened that's real. It now has impact in our present, and it offers us hope for the future. You know what that is? Good news. And you know, when you get good news, you want to share it, don't you? It's almost like you can't help yourself. Something good will happen. You go, man, I gotta, man I've got to call my brother. He is not going to believe this. I mean, you just, you just have good news. Y'all, guess what we have? The good news. So last night, standing there in that cross aisle, and after this lady, young lady, decided to go on shopping, the young man continued to stand there. And I said, I, said, I would like to just ask you respectfully, where is your hope? Where's your hope? And he looked at me, I said, is your hope in Jesus? And he said, well, well, yeah. I said, but is your hope also in a woman that you've never met in South Korea? Yes. I said, let me just encourage you. Come study the Bible with us. He said, where are you? I said, we're at First Baptist Church, downtown Arlington. I said, because you see, our hope is not tied to anybody in South Korea or North Korea, or America. Our hope is fully in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. Because that's the real answer. Our hope is in Jesus. And so, let's talk about that this morning, y'all. What is the big story? Well, I want you to look at what, look at what Paul says back in 1 Corinthians 15. Some scholars say, here's what we have here. We actually have a creedal statement that the early church has already embraced. Could be true. Because look what Paul says in verse 3. Paul says, what I've received, I'm now passing on to you. So he's received this, presumably from the Lord himself. But it could be a creedal statement that the early church has adopted. But the point is, Paul says, I'm going to give you this summary, this early synopsis of the gospel so that you will know the big story. So if I can, here's what I'd like to do this morning. First of all, I want to say a word of thanks to all the evangelists who've led so many of us to Jesus. Amen? One of the best evangelists I know of in this town is sitting right over here to my right, and that's Gary Stidham. Gary, thank you for being the man of God that you are. And we learn from people. But here's what I know about Gary. I know about the evangelists in my life. They all know the big story. They all know that when you get that point of commitment, you're asking people to commit themselves to something that transcends anything we would ever come up with on our own. So here's what I want to do just really quickly, if I may. 
I want to walk us through the big story as it's shared in this text. Can we do that? And I'm going to do it really quickly. So let's start here. God's plan for redemption and restoration was actually revealed in the Old Testament through the life of Abraham's family. Notice how many times Paul says, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. This is not some, some just new thing that happens. That's not what Christianity is. It is a part of the grand sweeping plan of God that goes all the way back to God's answer for the brokenness in our world. You see, God created the world, and guess what? Because of the willful, sinful rebellion of human beings, all of a sudden, all kinds of judgment was poured out on this earth and it led to shame and degradation and separation and blame and hurt and brokenness and even death. And you know, if you're having a conversation with anyone, you don't have to prove the brokenness of the world. They already know it. <laughs> they know it within themselves. They know it in their families. You don't have to say, all you have to say is something like this, man, this world's really broken, is it? Mm-hmm, it is. If they say, no, I think the world's doing great. You're like, dude, what planet are you on? You must be in a bubble. Let me tell you what's really going on in the world. This world is broken, sinful, shameful, ultimately death. Well, guess what? God responded with redemption. God spoke to Abraham and called him to himself. And it's through Abraham, his family, Israel. They will become the stewards of God's great promises. They will be examples of God's great plan and great mercy where you can be rescued, you can be redeemed, and you can be restored. And one day, God is going to restore his creation and it will be his kingdom on earth and he will be king. But it all starts in our Old Testament. That story that's powerful as we watch God at work. Jesus Christ, though, is at the very center of God's great plan. It all hinges on Jesus. God did make a personal visit. The Jewish rabbis were right. God visited earth personally. That's happened. That's the good news. It has already happened. And so God did visit this earth. The prophets foresaw the coming of the anointed one, the Messiah in Hebrew, the Christ in Greek. And so guess what happened? The word of God, the very breath of God became flesh and lived among us. And he is Jesus of Nazareth. That's, that's who Paul is testifying to. He calls him the Christ. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. He's the word of God. He is God in the flesh. That's why Jesus said things like this. Before Abraham was, I am. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one, Jesus will say. Jesus will say, you believe in God? Believe in me. Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless you come through me. In other words, Jesus made bold claims about himself because he's at the very center of God's great plan. Now, here's where it gets a little challenging. That all sounds good until you keep reading the story. And here's what happened to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and his body, his human body was placed in a borrowed tomb in Jerusalem. So Jesus died. So how, how is how is Jesus going to inaugurate the kingdom of God? How is he going to inaugurate the age to come through his life on this earth? How did he do it? Well, he did it through his presence. He was, the, he was God in the flesh. 
He did it through displays of power. Didn't Jesus occasionally give us a glimpse of the age to come? He would see someone who was blind and he'd restore their sight. There'll be no blindness in the age to come. He would would see someone who was lame and the next thing you know, they were jumping with joy because no one will be lame in the age to come. He would find someone like Jairus' daughter, dead, death, and Jesus would raise her from the dead because in the age to come, there'll be no more death. And so, Think about the foment, all the natural disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes. Jesus is in a little boat and the sea is fomenting and Jesus wakes up and says, shh, shh. And all of a sudden, all of creation just, you see, there will be no foment in the age to come. Jesus gave us glimpses, did he not? Glimpses of power, displays of power, that shows us the age to come. Also, his insightful teaching. Jesus will say, look, the kingdom of God is now here. It's in your midst. Repent and believe. Now, here's how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is like a farmer. goes out and sows seed. The kingdom of, of God is like this. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Here's how you're supposed to live in the kingdom of God. When Jesus died, he was resurrected from the dead. The book of Acts says he was still teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. Jesus gave us insightful teaching. But then... The most unusual thing happened. The one that made it really, really, really hard for first century Jews and even for people today. Jesus was killed by professional Roman soldiers. Jesus didn't die accidentally. Jesus was gruesomely crucified by professionals. And he died. Those Roman soldiers knew how to crucify someone until they died. And that's what happened to Jesus. And so, think about that. These these, um, disciples on the road to Emmaus said, man, we heard him. We saw him. (laughs) You won't believe what he did. You won't believe what he said. And man, we had so hoped And then, just like thousands of others of our fellow Jews, they crucified him. And we saw it. You see, a lot of Jewish men were crucified by the Romans. And none of them, not a single one of them, did their death signify the launching of the new kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, their death at the hands of Roman Soldiers was exhibit A that the kingdom of God is not yet. But this one, this Jewish man, when this one was crucified, everything was different. Because you see, here's what happened to Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, you go back and look at 1 Corinthians 15. He didn't just die. Look at what it says in verse three. Paul says, I'm gonna give this to you. It's the most important thing I know to tell you. He says, Christ died for our sins. You see, when Jesus died, Jesus died so that God through him would condemn evil once and for all. It is through the death of Jesus on the cross that 
Our sins now have been judged once and for all. He took on our sins and it is at the cross that God condemns evil once and for all and robs it of its power. And Satan on that day lost. And he has now ever since been wandering to and fro trying to bring as many people down as he can. But his power ultimately for eternity was removed on Calvary's cross when Jesus was condemned to die for our sins. So yes, Jesus lived. Yes, he taught us. Yes, he gave us glimpses of power. But let me tell you what else he did. He died on a cross for our sin. And those disciples said, man, we had so hoped. But I love this truth. Aren't you grateful? The story does not end on Friday afternoon. Now, come on, y'all. Jesus was miraculously resurrected from the dead to never die again. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? He says, Jesus, or Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised according to the scriptures on the third day. Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And when that happened, everything changed because on the cross, evil was condemned and defeated. It is still present with us, but it is running around like a wounded animal. It no longer has the vitality and the power that it once held over mankind because it's been judged and condemned. And then on Easter Sunday, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, death itself was dealt a death blow. And it's an indication that one day death itself will be defeated. The final enemy will ultimately be thrown into the lake of fire because Jesus has won a victory over death, over brokenness. In other words, on Easter Sunday morning, heaven broke through on earth and all of a sudden, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, let your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven was manifested on Easter Sunday. So what is our story? Our story is, yes, Jesus was a great man. Yes, he was a great teacher. Yes, but he did not come to give you advice. Jesus Christ came to save you from your sin. He came to offer you something nobody else can offer you. And then guess what, y'all? Don't just take my word for it. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people as a resurrected Lord. That's what Paul says. The prophets foresaw it. According to the scriptures, he was raised. His body was not going to be allowed to decay. He's the son of God. He's the anointed one. And he was raised from the dead, never to die again, gloriously resurrected. See, the Jews believed there was, oh, the Jews all believe in the resurrection from the dead, but that was going to happen to everybody at the end of time. It's not going to happen to anybody right now. Nobody's going to be resurrected from the dead right now. Guess what? Jesus changed all of that. I even love how Paul writes it. Paul changes, he changes tenses in Greek. He goes from aorist to perfect. He goes from aorist telling us what happened in the past to perfect tense. When he was raised from the dead, that has ramifications for today. And Jesus appeared to the apostles, to his followers, a bodily resurrection of Christ, undeniably true that Jesus Christ is alive. And so guess what? That means something now. That is really good news. Something incredible has happened in the past and it's happening right now in the present and it changes your life. So, guess what Jesus does now? He offers forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit to his followers. You see, here's what Jesus brings us. Freedom. 
I told this young man last night, standing in Kroger, holding his hand, looking him dead in the eye. I said, you know what? If you'll follow Jesus, if you'll look to Jesus, if you'll really seek Jesus, if you'll let Jesus reveal himself to you, and you know what the Bible says? Jesus is truth, and the truth will set you free. Because, see, you and I are bound. We're bound up by our sin. We're, we're bound up in all of our guilt and all of our shame. We're limited by our brokenness. We're tied to our past. And here's what Jesus offers you. He offers you forgiveness. You can be set free from your guilt and your shame. And you can be set free from judgment. You can be delivered from a self-centered life, which is the direction of all of us without Christ. You can be delivered from a purposeless life, which all of us are destined for without Christ. You can be redeemed from an insignificant existence, which all of us are destined for without Christ. And you can be connected to the eternal plan of God. You can live into the purpose for which you were truly designed. You can actually be really human, human, and you can really live because of what Jesus Christ offers you. Forgiveness, the presence of his Holy Spirit, power to live the life God wants you to live. However, you don't just get it. You, you don't just get it. That's not how it works. To receive what Jesus offers, we must repent and believe. That's what the Bible teaches us. We have to repent. We have to admit that we're lost. We have to admit that we're broken. We have to admit that we're guilty. We have to admit that we're sinful. We have to admit that we're outside the circle. We're in our own realm. We are not in the kingdom of God on our own, and we have no merit to enter it. We have to admit the fact that we are sinful people. We're broken people. We are separated from God, and we need God's deliverance. So we have to admit our sin and then accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior, as our Redeemer, and embrace Him and acknowledge Him as our Lord, and then we can live fully into God's plan for our life, and it will last forever. But the conditions are very clear. We don't reason our way into the kingdom of God. We repent our way into the kingdom of God. We don't strut into the kingdom of God. We bow humbly in the presence of God, admitting that we're not worthy of his acceptance and grace. That leads us then to live a lifetime of gratitude and thanksgiving for what he has done for us. Paul will say, I was most abnormally born. I'm the, I'm the least of all the apostles. Why? He was the only one killing Christians. And guess what? God rescued him just like God rescued and redeemed and restored his own son because there Jesus was for three days under the curse. The curse was death, and guess what? God said, no, not for my son, and he redeemed him from the dead and gave me and you hope that there'll be resurrection for all of us in the future. You know what that all is, y'all? It's good news. Let me read to you just really quickly this morning as we close. A paragraph from N.T. Wright's book, Simply Good News. Here's what he says about the truth of what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, the good news is that the one true God has now taken charge of the world in and through Jesus and his death and resurrection. The ancient hopes have indeed been fulfilled, but in a way nobody imagined. God's plan to put the world right has finally been launched. He has grasped the world in a new way to sort it out and fill it with his glory and justice as he always promised. 
but he's done so in a way beyond the wildest dreams of prophecy. The ancient sickness that had crippled the whole world and humans with it has been cured at last so that new life can rise up in its place. Life has come to life and it is pouring out like a mighty river into the world in the form of a new power, the power of love. The good news was and is that all this has happened in and through Jesus, that one day it will happen completely and utterly to all creation and that we humans, every single one of us, whoever we are, can be caught up in that transformation here and now. This is the Christian gospel. Do not allow yourself to be fobbed off with anything else. Amen and amen. What we have is good news. May we be faithful to live it and to proclaim it and share it. Hallelujah. May it be so. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we, we are grateful today for the good news of the gospel, for the big story. We thank you that you've written us into the script, that you're allowing us to be a part of your transforming work, and that you give us opportunities to share, that you, you give us the, the ability to communicate, you give us the or the tools to share this big story. And I ask you to give us the courage to do just that and find our way in those moments where we can be evangelistically responsible in sharing the good news. And we thank you for this gospel and how it's transformed our lives. And Lord, may we be found faithful as you work through us and sharing it with others. We, we know, Lord, this is the work of your spirit that we don't manufacture it, that you're the one who brings about conversion. We simply sow these seeds of truth. So give us the wisdom, the know-how, the impetus to do it in a way that will honor you and will give glory to your name. And we pray in the strong name of the Lord Jesus today. Amen.